Hello and welcome to episode 180 of the Waters Wave Wave podcast. I am Anthony Malakian, the editor of Waters Technology. And today, uh, so Wei Shen, she's uh, on vacation uh, right now, so I'm in charge of hosting the podcast. But fortunately for you all, we have a very good guest for you all, so you don't have to hear me drone on. Um, our guest today is going to be Sarah Dillon, uh, who is FactSet's new head of private markets. Uh, Sarah, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Thanks, Tony, for having me. It's great to be here. So just maybe to start off with, um, for people that don't know, just give us a little bit about your background and what your role is here at FactSet before we kind of get into this idea about private markets and private markets data. Sure. Um, I joined FactSet about 90 days ago to lead the private market initiative that um, Phil and others here have been talking a lot about. Um, prior to that, I was at General Atlantic, which is a large private equity firm, um, and I was their chief research officer. I was there for 17 years, so know the space very well, um, and I'm very comfortable in private markets. So maybe for our audience that might not be fully aware, what, what are we talking about when we talk about private markets and private markets data? So private markets are is anything that is not listed on a public exchange, essentially. Um, so that could include private companies, pri- private equity and venture capital firms and their investments, um, private debt, um, even some stranger things like um, ESG and, and other types of firms, real estate investment, things like that, um, which all are include, included in private markets. Okay. And... As I understand it, obviously, I'm not, you know, an expert the way that you are in this field. So, but as I understand it, there's, when we, when we, when we look at this kind of data, a, a huge issue I would imagine is that there's just a lot of data and it's unstructured data. And so you have to go about trying to figure out ways to kind of capture that information and you should structure it in order to get insights. But maybe from, what are some of the challenges, I guess, that, that you've seen in your time uh, in this field and how, are, you know, how do you kind of overcome some of those hurdles? So I think you nailed a few of the big challenges. There's a lot of disparate data from a lot of varying sources around the world. Um, you have different jurisdictions with different laws and different regulations, so it makes, makes it harder to um, aggregate and gather the information on private companies especially because it's not, they're not structured in the same way as public companies. Public companies have a requirement um, to file specific filings with the SEC to be able to be traded. Okay. Private companies don't have those same requirements, so it makes it very difficult for people to gather that information from all the places that you might be able to get it, and it's not centralized. Yeah. So maybe give, can you give like maybe a use case as to like an example, real world example that, that maybe that will allow our listeners to kind of wrap their head around um, what this issue is and why it's kind of such a daunting issue? So I care about, let's call it Alibaba. Alibaba, you know, is a large private company. Um, actually, they're listed, but they were a private company until about a year ago. Um, and people wanted to know what they did and how much money they had, and you couldn't tell. People knew from their website in China, you know, they were selling goods. But in terms of understanding the financial makeup of that company, that information isn't available easily because they didn't have to file it. They didn't have to tell any money anyone how much money they were making or what they were necessarily doing in terms of their roadmap and how they were going to plan um, what was next for them um, until they had to list to go public. And that's when people learned more about that company. Um, 
So, you know, any store you walk into that might be private, you know, mom and pop store down the street, they don't have to tell anyone about their business. Mm. Um, But investors and other people are interested because they can make money there. And if you think about it, that marketplace for private markets, um, the current market size is projected to be $11.1 trillion, and that's T, trillion with a T, um, and that's from BlackRock earlier this year. Um, so it's a huge market with a lot of opportunity that a lot of people are really interested in. I would imagine it would sound like there's going to be a lot of noise involved in the collection of this data. What kind of goes into the capturing of this information? How do you pull together these disparate kind of source of information, make sure that these are trusted, useful sources of information as opposed to noise or, you know, factually incorrect information, I guess. So a lot of it is done. It's an art. It's not a science. Um, You need machines, and everyone's talking about machine learning and AI, but you need automation in this process because there are probably 8 million companies globally or more um, in the private markets, and a a person can't do that. That's just ridiculous. Um, But additionally, you need people who understand the industry to be able to compare data from various sources to say, yeah, this is great and this makes sense, um, or no, it doesn't. It is a lot harder to do on a private company than a public company. So the other thing that people use often is what are signals? How do we kind of estimate growth of a company? Um, Which is different than we have a revenue number, so that's what we're going with. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you have to look at employee growth. You have to look at um, other things, other signals. So are they buying real estate? Are they hiring lots of people? Are they doing different things um, that would indicate that company's growing? Mm -hmm. Forgive me if this is a silly question. I'm, I'm used sure. to asking those, but um, <laughs> uh, this would sound to me, how, what is maybe then the difference between when we talk about private market data as opposed to just the, the whole scope almost of alternative data? Because you're not just, it's not just one data source that would, encom- that would encapsulate private market data, right? That it's, right. it's more of a, a package of information that you're trying yep. to pull together. So maybe how do you kind of differentiate private markets versus just the general space of alternative data? So I think alternative data is an input for private market analysis. I don't think it's the only thing. Um, You know, there are private companies, and all of those private companies don't necessarily have alternative data. Mm. Alternative data can be used to help you figure out how big that company is or how fast it's growing. But there are other pieces of data on that company, so business description. Um, sometimes there's revenue if they have to file the information. So, you know, it's not it's not common. But when Obamacare was put into place, they they required small businesses to file how many employees they had. So you can use that piece of data to figure out how big a company is. Um, so it's not just alternatives. It's kind of everything that could be in indicative of that company size and so if the whole point is to pull together a portfolio to eventually derive actual insights from this information when it's done wrong where where can firms Mm -hmm. go wrong and where can the, the kind of you incorporate risk i guess um when going about this process what do you kind of got to keep in mind i guess as far as best practices maybe so I would say it's a it's a game of making sure that directionally you're accurate. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say you're going to be absolutely accurate with the exact figures every single time. But when you have a data set that is not accurate 
five out of six times or seven out of ten times, you're, you have a problem because then the quality of your data is questioned. So for me, it's really important to make sure that we're thinking about it from an 80-20 perspective and making sure we have as much good data that is directionally correct about companies and investors. So then is it kind of a matter of um, of knowing when to kind of cut bait, I guess? So like if you aren't, direct, like you're saying, the 80-20 directionally accurate, if, you, if you're not really falling in there, then you just almost kind of just got to cut that information loose and just say, we're not going to force this through. Yes, correct. I would say that's a, that's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. Makes sense, okay. right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And when done well, why, why, so you talk about the size, uh, the, the trillion dollar market that, that we have, mm -hmm. or 11 trillion, whatever it was. Um, so obviously there's value in there, but why is this becoming more and more interesting? Why would a company like BlackRock go and put out a report on this? Why would a company like FactSet go and, you know, hire you as a head of private markets? Mm -hmm. So if you think about what's happening in the marketplace, in the stock market, and in ge just generally in the markets, there are a few factors that are really playing. One, there are fewer IPOs than there used to be. So, you know, in terms of going after um, returns, um, return dollars and um, generating alpha, you can't do it as easily just in the public markets. So people are looking at alternative investment types to do that. Um, the other thing, private equity, um, and venture capital, that whole industry, the returns that are generated there traditionally are 15 to 20% on average a year versus what you're going to get in the stock market, which may be 8% if you're lucky. So, you know, it's higher risk, but it's greater return. Um, so a lot of people are interested in that. Um, not The problem is not everyone like you and I have access to invest in private equity or in, in private markets. Um, I know if you look at the presidential um, debates, you're seeing people talk about that and saying, you know, everybody should have access, but they don't today. So there's a lot of money from institutions and other um, investors in the marketplace. There's about $1.5 trillion of dry powder mm -hmm. available to be invested in private markets today. Um, where people are really looking to make greater returns um, for that. Okay. And there's something actually you talked about that I wanted to jump on a little bit. You, sure. you note that there's fewer IPOs than there used to be. Yes. How does that affect the market? What, what kind of new maybe challenges does that create for investors as fewer and fewer companies are going to market? Um, and especially many of these tech companies are waiting a long time before they finally do enter into the public markets. So they want to find new ways to put their money to work, and private markets is the place to do it because that's where all these companies are staying because valuations are so great. Um, they're making more money there as companies and remaining private. Um, so the challenge, I would say, is you know people have to find other ways to invest, thus why private markets is so popular right now, or one of the reasons. Okay. And so then looking at um, the, 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 the data itself, I guess, Yes. From in your time, you, you spent a lot of time, you know, working, you know, looking at, at the private markets. What's changed as far as the data that's available? Because, you know, one of the things that we're just seeing, the, the whole rise of alternative data is because uh, there are a couple, there are a lot of different reasons for it, but partially it's because cloud allows you to store information more cheaply. Processing power is, you know, computing power, uh, the cost of that's gone down, but while the performance of it's gone up a lot. So it's, it's opening up new forms of data. Um, 
and thus the rise of alternative data. That's partially the reason, I guess. But there, it also creates challenges in that, as we talked about before, disinformation is unstructured. So what new information is coming to market today that makes investing in these more investing in private markets more viable than when you first started out, I guess, in the industry, and how, and then maybe the second part of that is how then do you figure about going to structure that information? Well, I think you've nailed it. It's really around these alternatives and, and new, different, creative information being available that people can use to derive kind of size and scale of companies. Um, that said, alternative data is not perfect. Um, it is at times some of the data sets aren't great. How they're sourcing the information is a problem. Um, you know, the legal, you get into a legal conversation then, which is not something I want to do today. But um, you have to ensure that the people who are gathering that data are doing it in a way that makes sense. And I think what's really helped the marketplace is technology. Mm. So you have a lot of really young, really dynamic people thinking about, you know, what could be useful and how is it really cool and then how can I bring that to market? Um, which is, it's creating tons of opportunities for companies and people who are looking at private data in particular. And maybe then to help, you know, people better understand then how, as they're kind of trying to think about this and maybe game plan for themselves, but so facts that huge company, huge data provider, big in the alternative uh, data space. Um, you know, we've had Rich Newman on past discussing uh -huh. open data, stuff like that. How uh -huh. does, you know, your group, this private market group, fit into the larger FactSet offering, I guess? So I think it's interesting you bring that up. So FactSet has been in private companies a long time. We've had that information for many, many years. That said, I think the advantage we have today is, you know, we've always been known for our concordance, our symbology, and our hierarchy. And having all of those things done well in one place is a key to being able to consolidate and aggregate this data together and then really derive insights out of it. So for me, it's looking at that and saying this is a great place for me to build this capability and do this, but also... Um, it is, there's a lot of the know-how internally for us to be able to do that. Um, I look at this, and I think Phil has talked about this, private markets for FactSet is something we just want to, to spend more time on and try to provide an offering that is end-to-end -end across the company life cycle so investors have a one-stop shop to go. Mm -hmm. um, so everything is in one place. And then... Looking at it because you know you, you brought up an example earlier about Alibaba, huge you yep. know, international company. Is there anything from a regulatory movement, from a standards perspective, that in order for this market to become more investable, in order to make it while private open up more, I guess, is there anything that the industry is pushing toward that maybe needs to happen from a regulatory perspective, from a standards perspective, um, that we should be keeping an eye out for as we head into 2020 and beyond? I think I would love that, um, and you're starting to hear some, you know, murmurs from presidential candidates and others, but I think people like to have that ability to create interesting new data, but there, there does need to be some standardization. One of the trends you're seeing today is that many individual governments, so because you can't get data, you know, holistically across the world, individual countries are deciding to publish more information about some of these private companies and requiring that. 
Um, and the reason they want that is because they want investment in their companies or countries, excuse me, or in their jurisdictions. So they are making those decisions because they want to have that corporate dollar um, there. Okay. And then, you know, before I let you go, you know, I always find sure. it fascinating when people, you know, that, that they change jobs. And so you've been in this job just, you know, a few days, basically, um, uh, relatively speaking. <laughs> um, what is it for you? What, why, what made you to kind of make a change in your career and what led you to FactSet? So it's interesting because as I was kind of nearing my end at General Atlantic and deciding I wanted to do something else, um, I was kind of t looking at all my options and trying to figure out what was next, what was the next best step for me. And I had a list, a checklist of specific things that I was very interested in. I wanted to find something entrepreneurial. I wanted to find something, you know, kind of dynamic and creative. I wanted to be at a fairly senior level because I came from that. Um, and facts that checked all my boxes. So I'm glad to be here. It's a great place to be. Um, and I'm excited about the opportunity. All right. Well, Sarah, you know, like I said, you're brand new to the job, but uh, best of luck going forward. And uh, thank thanks for joining so the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs>